0: we are getting ready to get into a brand new sermon series called This Is Us. Somebody say, This Is Us. This Is Us. us. Um, And the idea behind this series is to uh, open us up into our various relationships with each other, whatever that looks like. Now, I am aware there is a show called This Is Us. Um, And so I did some research on that show not going to say necessarily whether I watched the show or not. The show has been known to make grown men cry. But I did my sociological research and found out there's some interesting things about this show. Uh, one of the things in this show called This Is Us is it, it, it really tries to get after the strength of family. That family is important and that's what I'm talking about today in this first installment of the series. I'm talking about the family of God, uh, what we call the church. It also talks a lot about how to handle loss. In, in, In this television show, there's a loss of a father, there's loss of dreams, there's loss of children. It's very confrontational about speaking about things that in our culture we sometimes don't speak about openly. In this show, it also talks about adoption, uh, in the show, there is a, a little child that is, is there and, and needs to be adopted. And this, this woman loses a child at birth and then takes in this child that needs to be adopted and takes home three children. Mimi was talking about the spirit of adoption and worship this morning. We also see this show address diversity along all kinds of racial lines. There's diverse relationships and diverse families and people from different racial, cultural backgrounds coming together under this umbrella of family. Talks about friendship and what that looks like. Talk about marriage. Talks about the fear of marriage, the challenges of marriage. It talks about singleness and what does it look like to start over after you've been in a relationship for a long time. Dresses dating, sometimes positively, sometimes negatively. All of you all have television shows that you watch, cool in the game. What I want to encourage you is to not just digest content, but to think about what you're watching. To not watch and just check your mind out the door and just digest or accept content, but to be a critical observer of what you are watching. Because there's some things in our culture that we see that quite frankly needs to be, by us, rejected. And if you don't, ch- if you don't check your, if, if, if you check your mind out as you watch television or watch the news or watch whatever, And just digest it, you could be ingesting things that need to be rejected. An example of this, just an overt example, is pornography. Pornography for the believer needs to be rejected. Not the people on the screen, because the people on the screen are redeemable. But as an act in a media that we ingest, it needs to be rejected. There are other things that we see that we can accept. There's, there's beautiful art that we see that, that say, man, we can accept this. We can injustice." There's beautiful music that we hear that we say, man, this is, this is beautiful. This is something we can accept. And we can praise God for that. And then there's things that we can look at but critique. And This is all out of Andy Crouch's book, Culture Making, but we need to sometimes critically think through what it is that we are watching. My daughter came up to me. Uh, She is 11, and she's in middle school now. Pray my strength in the Lord. And she came up to me, and she said, "Uh, Daddy, uh, my my, my friends are having a little get-together, and they're going to be watching this movie. Okay, what is the movie? And she told me what the movie was, and it kind of just raised some flags in my mind. And so she said, Daddy, can I watch it or can't I watch it? And I thought about it. I said, Talk to me later. She came back later. She said, Daddy, can I watch it or can't I watch it? I said, let me talk to your mama. She came back after I thought, can I watch it? And, and so what we decided was, is let's watch it together first, so that we can critique it together. Beloved, we have to teach. This is a footnote, don't nowhere in the sermon. We need to teach our communities how to critique what we see amen so anyway this is us this is us anybody watch the show this is us anybody okay a few folk cool but we don't have to look at this is us for the guide or the compass in which we live our lives we have a far better compass y'all We have a word that is life-changing that we can go to as a guide to how we should live. And I'm listening to worship this morning, and I'm listening to Mimi lead, and I promise you it's like she has my sermon slides. Because all that you heard in worship is going to be shared here in this sermon. So let's start in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. Ephesians 1. 3 through 14. And it says this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, read read with me, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he had blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace, that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put in effect when the time reached their fulfillment to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. Keep going. I want to talk to you about three things this morning number one chosen in him number two in me in stuff in feelings and number three God's blended family let's pray together Father thank you for your grace your truth your wisdom your might we pray again because praying should be like breathing for the believer we pray God have your way among us open up your truths to us. Use me to speak your truth. Guard me from error. Stand in me. Speak through my mouth what you want your folks to know. And we give you praise and honor because at the declaration of your word, we are being transformed from moment to moment. So God, would you use this time to transform us to be more like you in Jesus' name? Amen. Paul is writing this, 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 this wonderful letter uh, to the church at Ephesus. And, and what we are reading here is a profound section of Scripture. I want to say to start, I'm not going to do this text full justice. To be really honest, y'all, this is three sermons in these short 11 or so verses but I do want to just draw some things out this morning that I think is beneficial as we think about family. We family, y'all. Do y'all love y'all, y'all natural family? Anybody love your natural family? Anybody love your extended family, your extended family, mother-in-law, father-in-law, in-laws, outlaws. You love your cousins? I say that because as we approach this, I want us to think through the lenses of family. And the truth is, we love our family, but there's some folk in our family that if we had the right to choose, may not make the cut. but we are in God's family. For those that have repented and put faith in him, we're in God's family. What does that mean? Paul is going to unpack this, so let's just get after it. Man, the first thing we see in verse three, it says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. Uh, Let's stop right there. Uh, They talked about being seated at, at, at the banquet. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing, and has seated us in heavenly places. That is amazing good news. The question on the table is, uh, how did we get there? How did we get there? Verse 4 through 14 is going to unpack how we got to the table. Here's the future reality for all believers. You're going to be seated at a banquet feast with, with, with God. You're going to be seated at his table in his kingdom reign in which there is no suffering or tears or death or sorrow. That is the future reality for all believers, which needs to be said as often almost as we need. As a matter of fact, what took the first century church through times of tribulation is that they thought that Jesus was coming back in their lifetime. That's why they can deal with being beheaded and being attached to horses and drugged through the city and and being tortured and put in tubs of oil. They had this expectation that Jesus was coming back. So at Gospel Fellowship, although we're five years in, may we never lose that expectation that today might just be the day. I feel a little giddy today, so watch my mic, Nahum. I feel giddy and silly when I think about this passage. So how did we get to the table? We didn't earn our way to the table. We didn't climb our way to the table. We didn't do a back deal and negotiated our way to the table. We didn't know somebody in some position that got us to hook up to get to the table. There was no hook up to get to the table. It cost too much to get to the table. We didn't have the credit to get to the table. How did we get to the table? We were chosen. That's 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 a big word. That's a big word. Theologians call this the doctrine of election. What this passage fundamentally teaches us, it is not so important that I chose him as it is that he has chosen me. The question then is... Why me? Sometimes you get asked to do things. I, I got asked to, 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 to do something with Acts 29. I remember talking to the director and I asked him, I said, uh uh, why me? It is not just that you chose me, but help me understand the process in your thinking when you said, Let's call Rotney. Why did he choose me? Now, now, now I could say, I could start writing off just stuff that I've done that says, okay, that makes sense that he chose me. But our passage said he chose me and then he gave me a time before the foundations of the earth. In, in, In other words, he chose me, yes, but when did he choose me? He chose me in eternity past. Before this word time as a concept was conceived, he had already chosen me. Before my dad whispered, hey girl, to my mom, he already chose me. Before my granddaddy tried to holler at my grandmama, he already chose me. Before Adam saw Eve and says, this is woman, he had already chose. that I can't go back enough to let you know if you go back to that point, before then, he's already chose me. Which means I couldn't have done something to earn this choosing. When I was coming up, We would play basketball on the court, and believe it or not, back then, I was pretty good. And they would do something called, let's shoot for captains. And what you do is you shoot until two people make it, and then those two people are the captains, and those two captains then pick the team out of all the people that are on the court. Each team is going to pick five, and they're going to play. During that time, I was never concerned if I would be picked. <laughs> While the picking is happening, I'm having side conversations. So what y'all did? Hey right, we picking, yeah. So what y'all did, man? Because I assumed <laughs> I'm the first pick. If I catch wind that I'm not the first pick, I'm asking the question, what are y'all doing? What t- Let me help you, what team you building? Well, maybe you never had that happen for you. Maybe for you, you applied for a job and, 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 and you put in your resume and you put in your references and you put in your qualifications and your education and all of a sudden you get that call back and you're excited because out of all the applicants that apply for that position, they chose you. Or maybe, maybe you're Kaisha Wilkinson and one day she meets... Rodney Wilkinson. And she extends her hand for me to shake her hand. And I tell her, I'm sorry, sweetie. I don't do handshake, I do hugs. Whatever, that was cold-blooded when I said it. But she was chosen. She was, she was chosen. But see, all of those, all of those examples, all of those examples don't compare to the doctrine of election, and here's why. When I was picked for basketball, it was based on my talent. When I was picked for the job, it was based on my experience and my credentials. Even when I picked Kaisha, it's based on her external beauty and her internal qualities. But when God picks me, he doesn't pick me on something based from what I've done. The scripture says he picked me in his love. I'm sorry, sometimes I got to marvel. He picked me in love. He loved me, if I could say it this way, before he met me. And he chose me and called me to be predestined in his son. That's good news for believers. This gives me great confidence in my relationship with him. Because he's not choosing me today and not choosing me tomorrow. It gives me great security in the fact that I've been chosen. Gives me confidence it gives me an understanding of, 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 of beginning to wrap my mind around the depths of the love of God towards me. So some may say, well, Rodney, if he chooses, he does it for the foundation of the world and he knows and he chooses, well, Rodney, why then preach if he chose? Why disciple if he chooses? If he's going to do the work, Why do anything? Why not just sit back and watch what he does? Why not play an apathetic role in in the renewal of all things? Why invest time? Why, Why gather? Number one, because you don't know who he chose. He doesn't privy you to that information. So you proclaim the gospel in the expectation that he'll use you to draw others. He he has a role for us to play in this. And, And a part of you coming to grips with the doctrine of election is simply this. If anybody got the right to choose, it's God. This is the doctrine that lets God be God. So Rodney, that's cool in the game, that he chose me. Why did he choose me? I'll tell you why he chose you. He chose you that you should be holy and blameless. So he's not asking you to behave, and then I'll choose you. He chooses you so you can behave. In other words, believers should live differently because we've been chosen. We should be able to extend grace because we've been given grace. We should be able to love and love and love again because we have been loved and loved and loved again because we have received so much. We should live differently. We should live holy. We should, we should mortify the deeds of the flesh or we should kill our sin. We should forgive when we don't want to forgive. We should live lives of purity and discretion. We should be generous towards the church in our giving. We we should be consistent in our evangelism to the lost. We should open our homes for the work of ministry. We should train up our kids in the admonition of the Lord. Why? Because he chose us. He chose us that we should be holy and blameless before him. And because he chose us, we are complete in him. I just want to run through scripture real quick in this passage, starting at verse 7. Mimi was talking about that. She's just saying, I'm complete in him. It's not in in, in my credentials or who I am or or all those things she said. She said, we're just complete in him. What does that mean to be complete Well, it means we have redemption through his blood. In other words, his death on the cross pays the price to bring us into his family. We got redemption. What does that redemption give us? He tells us forgiveness of sins. Now, this is important, this is critically important. We have, as a family, we've been brought in as a family, and we have the forgiveness of sins. In other words, I don't know if you're like me, but I need his forgiveness of sin all the time. I need to be before him repenting of my sin all the time. Why? Because I'm cognizant of the fact that I'm breaking his law in some area. And so if we're living in this relationship as a body connected to Christ, you're going to need the forgiveness of sin. Now, what's, here's also something critically important. This forgiveness is in accordance to the riches of his glory. Are you all with me this morning? In other words... See, if I had forgiveness for y'all and, 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 if, and, and all the forgiveness you had was based on how much I was willing to give you, you would be in trouble. In other words, if my forgiveness was the bank account and you needed to make withdrawals, you'd be in trouble. Because one day you'll swipe for forgiveness and the card to get declined. But forgiveness ain't based on Rodney's account. The forgiveness of sins is based on the riches of his glory. In other words, he has an abundant supply of forgiveness for you. And this forgiveness he lavishes on us. I've taught this before and I said that this idea of lavish reminds me of when the Miami Heat were actually good. I'm sorry, was that a low blow up? I thought I was stating a fact. Okay. Um, I'm sorry. It reminded me of when the Miami Heat won championships. Is that better? Okay. And they would go in the back, of the back locker room and they would shake up bottles of champagne, shake it up, shake it up, shake it up, and they would spray it on each other. They weren't considering how much each bottle of champagne costs. But because of the excitement, they were just pouring this stuff out on each other. This is the idea of lavishing his love on us. He just pours it on us. And he does it with wisdom and insight. And this is something for believers that we need. We need God's wisdom and God's insight. We need spiritual discernment to face whatever comes in life. We need his understanding. And this is what he gives us. By grace. Amen? I need, I need spiritual wisdom and insight to pastor this church, the elders and I. This stuff don't come from books or mentorship. It comes as a gift of grace. Amen. We're complete in him, y'all. If we don't understand that, live in that, dwell in that, breathe in that, rehearse that over and over and over again, I'm complete in him. I'm bought with a price. I did not earn my seat at the table. I was chosen in him before the foundations of the world. If we don't rehearse that to ourselves, the enemy will tempt us to try to find ourselves in something else. And we'll functionally live a life that says, not in Christ, but in me. And we'll say stuff like, I just got to make it happen. Anybody ever said that before? <laughs> I'm in a time where, man, I just got to grind it out. I got I to make some stuff happen. There's nothing wrong with working hard and being diligent. But if you fundamentally believe the way things are going to turn out is based solely on your effort, in diligence, what are you resting in? Some of us would, be, would, would, would think to say, man, I just got to find my hope or my security in others, in a spouse, in a job, in a child. And all of the times we're doing this, we're literally stiff-arming God and saying, oh, I, I know, yeah, this whole complete in Christ thing, but I got this. We may be forced to think, man, not in me, but in stuff. What can I get? What can I obtain? What can I purchase that's going to give me satisfaction? One of the fundamental ways we are deceived in this is this idea of once I get enough money, I'm going to do blank. Anybody said that? I was in a, I I wasn't in a meeting, I'll say this, where I found myself in the middle of a meeting that was happening where people were gathered and they were planning um, different ways they were going to make a lot of money in a short period of time. And so they Skyped in someone from California and the guy from California came on and he was talking about how they were going to make all this money in a relatively short period of time. And this, this is just called network marketing. And I'm sitting there and I just found myself stuck in the meeting and kind of planning my escape. Nothing, if, if, if you're into network marketing, um, I'm not trying to throw shade or anything like that, right? This happens in Wall Street where sometimes people make an incredible amount of money in a short period. I'm not trying to cast, throw shade or anything like that. I was just observing how they were so thirsty for it. How, how the excitement would build as this man on the screen was able to pull strings that was attached to idolatry and manipulate emotions that they were willing to sacrifice to do anything to get to the stage that this guy on the screen was on. And, and so maybe you're not in network marketing, maybe you're just working a job, but you're, in the back of your mind you're thinking, when I get enough money, I'm going to do this, and that is going to bring me this feeling, this emotion, this value, this worth. Tim Keller preached a sermon 10 years ago or so, and in the sermon he says, in the morning it's always Leah. The thing we put all of our hope in, apart from Christ, to bring value, to bring worth, to bring identity, always falls short. Family, there is one place that we turn for our identity, and that's to Christ, Christ alone. And then lastly we say, if I can't find it in Christ or in me and my stuff, sometimes I'll find it in my feelings. And we would base our lives on how we feel. This is, this is, um, this is something. We, we base our lives off how we feel. Man, if I feel a certain way, I'll, I'll do it. If I don't feel it, ugh, I just don't feel it. I don't feel it. If I feel like serving, I'll serve. If I don't feel it, I can't do it. It's not a good time. I don't don't feel it. If I give, I'll give. If I don't give, I, I I didn't feel like giving today. Yet we stare at a Savior who overcame his feelings. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he said, Lord, if it's possible, if there's another way, let this cup go somewhere. Let it pass. He wasn't so concerned about the beating or the crown of thorn on his head. He was concerned about that cup. Well, what was the cup? The cup was the wrath of God, his father. But he says nevertheless not my will your will be done. I want to read this quote. It says this. The pleasure that the world offers is very much like Chinese like a Chinese dinner. No matter how good it is, you'll be hungry again in 2 hours. I thought that was hilarious. <laughs> it is in Christ and in Christ alone that the lasting fulfillment The deep human satisfaction is found. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not be hungry, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. We're completing him. Third point, last point, then we'll go home. This family that he brings together, he secures us by choosing us, he gives us forgiveness of sin, he lavishes his grace on us, he he, he calls us together, he huddles us up, if you will, as a family. He helps us and reminds us of who we are in him and for us not to put our hope and confidence in things that are fleeting and passing away. But then I want us to understand this morning that we are God's blended family. This, this verse says, In him we were chosen, having been predestined to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put hope in Christ, might be to the praise of his glory. This is what we talked about at the end last week. In other words, the Holy Spirit is drawing together for himself Jew and Gentile and bringing them into the same family. And then the Holy Spirit seals us together. He, he, he seals us. He, he brings us together and then marks us as seal, which is the deposit guaranteeing our inheritance, the praise of his glory. So what does this mean for us? I want us to look at Ephesians 1, verse 4. It says this, And in love he predestined us for adoption to Himself. As sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. Here's what happens. Christ adopts us and brings us into his family. So the church is just an expression of the extension of God's adoption, bringing people into his family. You that gathered here at Gospel Fellowship today, you are here not just because someone invited you or you you, you didn't get saved just because you heard a message. You were adopted into his family and brought in as sons and daughters of the Most High God. But he doesn't say this family gathering comes without tension. Because every family fights, every family feuds, every family has to extend forgiveness and confession and loving each other again. God has, through Christ, brought us and adopted us as his sons and brought us into his family. No matter the class, no matter the race, no matter the background, no matter what you've been through, no matter how spiritual you are, no matter how not spiritual you are. For those of us that have repented and put faith in Christ, he draws us from the four corners of the earth and brings us into his family, and that is good news. So what do I say to you? I say... Don't call God your father if you're not willing to call the church your mother. Don't diss his bride. We are in this together. Don't run from it, run to it. Don't do life in isolation when he's adopted you and brought you into his family and the means in which sanctification is going to come, discipleship is going to come, growth is going to come, your closeness to him is going to come, is going to come in the family. In the family. Amen. So let me pray for you. Oh, this is the last thing. Sorry. (laughs) Yesterday we had a party for my my son, RJ, um, and it just reminded me so much of Gospel Fellowship because we had some folks from Gospel Fellowship at this party and then we had people that weren't from Gospel Fellowship at this party. And I'm just watching uh, this party happening and parents coming together and they're talking and I'm watching the folks from Gospel Fellowship not getting this click and just talk amongst the GF crew, but they're engaging the other parents. Beautiful. And I thought to myself, man, this is amazing because here's here's what I, and I don't know what the conversations were, but here's what I fundamentally hope. The people that were there from GF understand this is not a closed family. As a matter of fact, this family became a family to draw others to the family. In other words, our gates stay open, receiving those from all walks of life, telling them, hey, hey, this forgiveness of sin, hey, his his blood has purchased this, he lavished grace, this is a great story, I got to tell you, look how much he loved you, look at what he did dying on this cross, our gates stay open to proclaim the truth of his gospel to anyone that would hear it. And so what do I say to this local family, this little little dot in the capital C church, and all over the world, churches are meeting and gathering, lifting up the name of Jesus, and we are just a very small expression of that capital C church. I say go out and invite others to the family. Invite others to the family. Let's stand and be dismissed. every eye closed, every head bowed. If you're here this morning, if you're here this morning and you want to know what it means to be in the family, prayer team, I'm going to ask that you come. If you're here this morning and you want to know what does it mean to be a part of this family? What does that mean? Maybe you're here this morning and you're uncertain whether you're in the family or not. And you just want to, you just want prayer. Or you just want to talk to somebody. How do I know that I'm in the family? That's a good question to ask. Because the truth is, our, the, the, the gates of the church, capital C, are open. But one day, one day, y'all, one day, the gates will close. You see, only the family spends eternity with Jesus. And I don't say that to scare anyone, but I say that as a point of of truth. The scripture says, the day you hear my voice beckoning you, calling you, calling you, the day you hear my voice calling you, don't harden your heart. Don't reject him. If you're here this morning, we want to offer prayer to you. If that's you, come. If you don't know if you're in his family, if you want to know what it means to be in his family, we're going to ask that you come. want to pray for you. want to pray for you. I want to pray for you. I